Well, good morning. Welcome. If I've never met you, my name is Jeffrey. Uh, I am excited to be a part of our Flip the Script series that we are in. And um, I love worship. Uh, I've, I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I was like just around church stuff. And I've always loved worship. Actually, I was thinking as the, they were, the team was leading us this morning, sometime I'm going to get Lonnie and Sarah to wear something that will track their steps on a Sunday morning and just see how many steps they take sprinting to the back of the stage in the front. Like, I bet they've got a full mile in this morning just running around in worship. But I love, the thing I love about both of our teams, uh, and this is the same at South Campus, this is North Campus, I love that we... Our worship teams, they just worship. So like they will get in to the presence of God. They will just worship and they will just hope that we all come along with them, which is us. It's an incredible, incredible team. And if you're online, we're really honored that you are worshiping with us there. I love that, uh, I love that you're a part of our body. So you, you might be watching on your phone or a computer or on your TV through our app or whatever, but I'm really, really glad that you are a part of our church and what's going on in our church. I love getting to worship with you. I love that we've got serve team like Junior and Opal and Haley that jump in every week and they pray for you and they are encouraging in there. And I just, I love what God is doing on our online campus as well. And I, I love to worship. And generally, because like this has been my upbringing, worship comes really easy for me. Now, it doesn't sound good, but here at Beltway, it's loud enough that generally it just drowns out my awful singing anyway. And so... I love worship. And then sometimes I just don't. Like maybe I'm the only one. Like, you know, pastors often get in those funky places just like everyone else does. And I was in one of those a couple of weeks ago. We had kicked off. It was the first Sunday we were kicking off Flip the Script. I mean, it is our big spiritual growth campaign. I'm a pastor on staff. I'm supposed to be excited about this growth campaign. And that Sunday, if you remember, we had somebody come up in the middle of service and they read this scripture or in the middle of worship and they read this scripture. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient for Christ. Let's go! Flipping the script. Winning the war with mental health. And at North, I actually read that verse from stage. And then I went and stood on the front row and did nothing. I didn't worship. I didn't sing. I didn't want to. I was annoyed with the people singing off key around me. Which this isn't being streamed over there, so they don't know that was the case. I didn't even want to worship. All I wanted to do was think about my last week. So the week before that, Actually, on Sunday morning, during church, which my, my wife knows, like, this is my job. Like, I work on Sundays. So she never texts me on Sunday mornings. That Sunday morning, she texted me, and I saw her name pop up, and I thought, there's not a chance in the world this is good. So I opened it, and she told me that our daughter, Ellie, who's seven years old, had tested positive for COVID. And I'm a pretty decent hypochondriac, like enough so that the WebMD should be blocked on my computer. Like I don't love, like I don't love being sick or thinking about being sick. And I was fine when it was just me. But now that I've got a wife and daughters, when they get sick, I get, I'm a psychopath, okay? Like I am so nervous and I know all the stats. I know the COVID stats with kids. Like I know she's seven years old. She's in pretty good health. 
the odds of anything bad happening to her are so tiny. And listen, those odds are fun to know when it's somebody else's child. When it's your child, my mind went, she's going to be that one case. They're going to put her in the hospital and I'm not going to be able to see her. And what happens if she gets sicker? How do I parent this child? How do I make sure I take care of her? God, what do I do with this seven-year-old who's got COVID and obviously doesn't feel great? Then we tested my 10-year-old and she tested negative, which meant that we got to have both of our kids quarantined for a week in the same house apart from one another. So anyone that has children will tell you that social distance is a myth. It's a fake thing they lie to you about when you have kids saying that you'll get that again at some point and maybe once they move, it is yet to happen in my world. Like trying to keep a 10-year-old and seven-year-old apart from each other was basically, they would stand, one would stand in one room and they would open their door and the other would stand in another room and they would open their door and they would yell at each other, which basically was probably just spewing the virus one child to another. Just thinking about that now, I could have maybe done that better. But so we gave them both technology and we're like, just go nuts, right? Like screen time is not a thing this week. You just, let's survive this week. All week long, just waiting for Berkeley to test positive and she never did, which is praise the Lord, it's awesome. But that Saturday, my wife and I put an offer in on our house. We've been looking for a house for like three months. Found one we liked, put an offer in on it. Didn't get it. Somebody swooped in at the last moment and bought it. And that Sunday morning that I got up and read that verse out of 2 Corinthians, I'd woke up to get dressed in probably another ridiculously colored shirt. And I, I was like, it's hot in this house and I don't like it. Why, who turned the air up? I honestly was mad at my wife because I was like, she turned the air up when I was in bed. I, you don't mess with a person's air. And she hadn't messed with it. Instead, it just was broke. So I had a broke air conditioner, sick kids, and just a fantastic attitude. I stood on the front row just mad and annoyed. I'm standing there. And then it was like God thumped my bald head. He was like, do you, you, dude, did you listen to what you just said? I'm like, God, I'm pouting here, Okay. I don't want to talk to you about this situation. Will you stay in your God lane and let me be over here? Like, you said, take every thought captive. Also, you said we could win the war with mental health. How do you feel? And I said, God, you know what I feel like? I feel like I've gotten my tail kicked all week long and I have not just lost the war. I am getting slaughtered in the war for mental health. And the last thing I want to do this morning is give you any worship because I don't feel like doing anything but going back in my bed, pulling my covers over my head and ignoring the world. And the crazy thing is, that week actually wasn't that bad. I mean, my kids played way too much Mario on the Nintendo Switch. But like, other than that, my, I may not find a house for a little while, but I got parents that live here. And you know what? If I go move in with them, I don't pay rent. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to do that as somebody in their mid-30s, but that's, you know, sounds awesome. Yeah, the AC wasn't working, but like I said, my parents live here, my wife's parents live here. We've got places that we can go, and yet I sat there refusing to worship because all week long what I hadn't taken care of is my thoughts. 
And I'm probably not the only one that way underestimates the effect that our thought life is having on our actual physical life. What happens in our minds shapes our lives. Not just has an influence, not just is a part of it. What goes on in our minds is actively shaping what goes on in our worlds. Scientists will tell us that these are all effects of a negative thought life. Imbalance in hormones, depletion of brain chemicals, damage to the immune system, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disorders, even to the point that a negative thought life shortens our lifespan. That is the effect of a poor thought life. We've all felt it. I mean, I can't be the only one that sometimes wakes up at 4 a.m. with my mind racing about something that happened when I was in middle school or something that might happen when I retire. And yet there I am at 4 a.m. on a normal day and my mind is just so anxious. We felt fears about COVID. Right? These last 18 months have been a trip and one I hope I never go on again. But we felt fears about COVID. Do I take the vaccine? Do I not take the vaccine? What happens if I get it? What happens if I never get it? All these millions of thoughts that go on and every single one of them at some point causes us to fear. Any of you parents, we fear literally everything about our kids. We fear them staying small, right? Like God let me get out of the two-year-old stage and then they turn three and you're like, but God, they used to be two and so cute. I fear my girls are getting older and like there was aspects of it when they were younger that were really fun and there's aspects of it now that are really fun but I'm looking at them going like you're 10 and it feels like tomorrow you're gonna drive and there's gonna be a boy that's gonna be around and then I'm gonna go to jail and I don't wanna do any of that. Like jail sounds bad. We have anxious thoughts about our marriage or about our jobs or about our career paths. I mean, we just have so much that's going on in our minds all the time and very little of it is positive. And a negative thought life will rob us of the joy and life that God has for us. How our mind goes, so our life often goes. So for a second, I want us to take a thought audit. That sounds fun, huh? Just for the last week, I want you to think about what you thought about. And I fully acknowledge that is a weird sentence to say. But I want you to think over the last week, what are some things that were at the forefront of your mind? And then answer this question for yourself. Were those things positive? Life-giving? Peaceful? And maybe you're like, listen here, I'm not doing your dumb thought audit. Okay. What did you say this last week? Because scripture tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you know what is coming out of your mouth is revealing what is going on in your heart and in your mind? If you're constantly pointing out the negative in everything, guess what's happening in your mind? It's not sunshine and roses. Our mouths are revealing what is going on in our hearts and in our minds. So as we think about what we've thought about, I would venture to guess that for most of us, our thoughts are pretty anxious a lot of times, worried, we feel lonely, overwhelmed, discouraged, we wrestle with disillusionment, 
our thought life has consequences. And the truth is we can ignore those consequences. We can underestimate our thought lives at our own peril. We can do it forever. But guess what? Where it will lead you is nowhere you want to go. What happens in our minds shapes our lives. And scripture tells us that. But here's what scripture doesn't say. Because this isn't our God. Scripture doesn't say, listen, bad thoughts are just bad. It says, yes, having a negative thought life is not healthy, but guess what? What he offers you is so much more. That he offers you a life that when, you're, when you have thoughts running through your mind, you're not leaving those feeling anxious and depleted. You feel alive and at peace. That's what our God offers us. And that's what scripture shows us. Shows us that in Romans 8. So if you will, if you'll flip over there, you grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one, there's one around you. At our online campus, actually, there's a Bible right there on the screen. We're going to be in Romans 8, starting in verse 5. You grab one of our Bibles, it's on page 944. Here in Romans, you have uh, Paul writing to the church and basically outlining for them what it looks like to have a spiritual life as a Christian. And just a few verses in, he gets to our thoughts. He says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And if you're anything like me, as you read those verses, the two things come to your mind immediately. The first is this, what does it mean to set my mind on the flesh? And then what does it mean to set my mind on the Spirit? Because if I don't understand those two things, I don't understand anything at all about what that verse is trying to communicate. So let's tackle them one by one. What does it mean to set our mind on the flesh? John 3 says this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Listen, sometimes the Bible's not that complicated. Sometimes it breaks it down like kindergarten level. You're born of the flesh, okay? You're here, born of the flesh, makes you flesh. Do I need to say that again? Flesh, flesh, that's you. Okay, you're a human. You were born of the flesh. You are flesh. That is who you are. So if you want to know what it means to set your mind on things of the flesh, it's this. You do you, boo. Like you're already doing it. You're a human. You're thinking like a human. That's what you do. I had a guy. I'm going to say somebody's age here. No one email me, okay? I don't want you to feel like you're bashing people that are not your age. But the age is important to the story. So. Had a guy that was in his mid-50s one day look at me and he goes, listen, you are just not thinking like a millennial. And I said, listen, I'm a millennial. I can't not think like a millennial. If I am having these thoughts, that is how a millennial thinks. It is who I am. You are human. You are flesh. You're doing a good job setting your mind on things in the flesh. It is our natural go-to as humans. We will set our minds on things of the flesh. And in our natural state, we only have the ability to think in such a way that ultimately leads to our death. And I recognize that sounds extreme. How do you feel after you have one of those times that your thoughts are spiraling? Spiraling out of control. How do you feel? More alive or less? Those times where you can't go back to sleep or those times where you can't 
get out, up out of bed, those times where depression feels like it's overwhelming you or anxiety is all that you can think about. Do you feel more alive? No. Because in our natural state, the thoughts that we have will ultimately lead to our death. What is going on in our minds shapes our lives. Here's the hopeful thing this morning. You have no other option except to set your mind on things of the flesh. Have a good afternoon. But Romans 8 goes on. And it reminds us what Jesus did. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh. I love, however. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, that's insane. If the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in you, if the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Outside of Jesus, Romans 8 feels unbelievably hopeless, and yet in him it is the hope of eternity. What Romans 8 says is, listen, we do not have to still have our tails kicked by our minds. There is another option. There is hope, there is joy, there is peace in Jesus and only in Jesus. I mean, this, this verse, Romans 8, 9 through 11, that should be the verse that makes us walk into every situation and circumstance going, you know what? I got this. Imagine if we walked in the confidence that we should have as believers when we know that the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in me. The one who called Lazarus out of the grave, brought him out that took an ear that was cut on the ground and shoved it back on somebody's eye that made a mud pie with his spit and healed a blind eye. Imagine what our lives would look like if we walked with that kind of authority that does not get purchased by you, but is delegated to you. Life would look way different. And that is not a part of my sermon. You got that for free. See, more than just our thoughts not destroying our life, the hope that is found in Jesus is that our lives can have life and joy and peace. And that's the way our minds can function as well. Because as I was going through the thought audit, as I was thinking about this sermon and kind of just sitting in it, I'll be honest with you. My thought life has not often led me into a place that I felt more life, more joy, more peace. Actually, as I did that thought audit this week, I was remembering that almost every day this week I woke up anxious about dumb stuff, stuff that's outside of my control anyway. Yet I laid there in my bed with my mind racing of God, what is going to happen? Feeling overwhelmed and anxious. What about you? You feel like your thought life has led you on a path of joy and peace? Because if our answer to that question is not yes, then the first step, according to Romans 8, that we have to do is we have to examine our own faith. 
We have to actually look at our own lives because what Romans 8 says is that the only way we can have all of this stuff that is outlined is through Jesus and we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I setting my mind on things of the flesh because I have no other option because I've never said yes to Jesus? Because the type of faith that is talked about in Romans 8, that, that faith, it is illustrating not Christmas and Easter faith. It's not I come to church whenever my spouse nags me enough and it gives me a moment of reprieve or maybe the Cowboys are playing the Monday night game so I can take myself to church Sunday morning. Listen, newsflash, they're going to lose anyway, okay? We can move on from that. I hate the Cowboys and I love them. Cowboy fans don't ever know what to think. It's like I hate that I love them and I love that I hate them. It's just a weird circular thing. That, that, the spirit of Christ dwelling in me kind of faith, that is where I go, I died to who I used to be and I am new. It's all the stuff that used to make me, me, the flesh, the desires, all that nonsense, that's gone because of Jesus and I'm a new person now. That's the type of faith that, faith that Romans 8 is talking about. Not casual, easy, Bible Belt Christianity, all-consuming, life-altering interaction with the Savior. So I would actually guess that one of the primary reasons that so many of us are stuck in these negative thought patterns is because we've never truly trusted Jesus as our Savior, and therefore we have no other ability to think about anything but the flesh. Fun to hear? No. Yet that is what Scripture says. So that may be you this morning. But maybe you're sitting there and you're like, no, I said yes to Jesus. I try to follow him. I, I do whatever I can to die to who I used to be and, and be new. And yet here I still stuck feeling frustrated with my own mind all of the time. Then what we have to do is we have to retrain our mind to be set on things of the spirit. Can I just be honest? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this feeling like I'm getting my tail kicked all the time with my mind. I don't want to do this standing on the front row of the North Campus not being able to worship because for a week my mind was racing. I don't want to do this feeling like my destiny is being defeated by my mind. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to explore what the Lord has for me. I want you to explore what the Lord might have for you if we figure out what is going on in our minds. And the truth is, there's no quick fix. Here's what we want as Christians. We want to go to like the medicine cabinet and we want to open the thing and we want to take the fix my brain pill and we want to take it and then we're good. And it was easy peasy, no big deal. For some of you, you need to go to the medicine cabinet and you need to take the pill that will actually make your body align physiologically with the way that it's supposed to be. Okay, that is not a bad solution. We, in the church, we have this negative stigma of medicine with mental health, and yet we will take our kids to the doctor and get something for the flu. That's insane. Okay, it's not for everyone. Like, my best friend in the world takes medicine for depression and anxiety. Because he needs to. He needs to physiologically get his body in the right place. Some of you, you need that, and doctors are incredible at what they do. That's not the case for a lot of us. 
I would actually venture to guess that's not the case for most of us. For most of us, we just kind of want the quick and easy fix, but it's not going to be that. Training our minds to be set on the things of the Spirit is going to take time and it's going to take work, but the reward far outweighs the cost. Romans 8 is clear. It says, you want to have a thought life that leads to death? Set your mind on things of the flesh. If you want the alternative, then you've got to set your mind on things of the Spirit. Those are the only two options. And here's where we usually begin. All right, we want to reach, we want to train our minds to be set on positive things, things of the Spirit. Here's what we do. Stop having negative thoughts. All right, I feel better. I told my mind to stop, stop for a moment, till that bill comes in that I wasn't expecting, and then all of a sudden I'm back in the exact same spot, but I was like, mind, I told you, don't think about negative things, why can't you get the message? And we think, that's ridiculous, I know. That's the only tool we have ever wielded against our minds. Parents, we do this too with our kids. My 10-year-old, the other day, we were, uh, my wife and I were sitting up watching a TV show and my kids were in bed and they'd been in bed a little while. And my 10-year-old came in the room and she was obviously feeling anxious. She was like fiddling with her hands and she like wouldn't look at me in the eye. I'm like, Berkeley, what are you doing? I don't know. Okay. Why are you here? I don't know, Berkeley, are you feeling worried about something? Yeah. She went on and told me what she was worried about. A legitimate worry. I said, Berkeley, hon, stop thinking about that. Okay. <laughs> went back to bed. How long do you think it was before I saw that child again? I just mere minutes. Because that's a dumb way of parenting. And I promise I'm not always that awful of a parent. Sometimes. This, parents, we actually had an opportunity this week uh, on our, we have a podcast called Beyond Sundays that we, Beltway puts out. Uh, and this week, we actually had an opportunity to talk to a child, a licensed child play therapist and child uh, counselor on the podcast. It's called, I think I said it was called Beyond Sundays. You can find it on iTunes or on Spotify. But we talked to Jennifer Smotherman for like 45 minutes, and it was me and one of our other staff, our Brett Stewart, our online campus pastor. And I told Jen at the end, I was like, hey, just you should send me a bill for the amount of counseling you just did for me. Like I, it, all we talked about for almost an hour was how do you help your kids who have depression and anxiety? And it is a phenomenal conversation. So all throughout this series, we'll be putting out podcasts about mental health stuff. Go listen to that, especially if you're a parent, go listen to that podcast. It was phenomenal. Jen was incredible. And what I did with Berkeley is exactly what we always do. It is the, just stop thinking negative thoughts. I want to change my thought pattern. Stop doing it. And that doesn't work. It's the same, maybe you've heard the example of like the, stop thinking about a pink elephant. Okay? We all are thinking about a pink elephant. But I told you to stop it. Did you stop? No, right? We're stuck in this place that we can think of nothing but a pink elephant. You're actually like, shut up about the pink elephant so I can move on. All right, so stop thinking about the pink elephant. 
have you ever thought what it would look like to see a tie-dyed turtle? I thought about that some this week. That's like, like a character on Mario. Like a tie-dyed turtle would be the cutest animal ever. It's like tie-dyed turtle and like little puppy. Those are like the cutest things you can ever imagine. I mean, think about a tie-dyed turtle. See, our mind immediately goes from, even though I had told you stop thinking about the pink elephant and you couldn't stop thinking about the pink elephant, as soon as you got something different and dare I say better in your mind, our mind goes to the other place. It's called the law of substitution. Our minds, our conscious minds can only have one primary thought at any given point in time. So whenever we just tell our minds to stop thinking about one thing, it doesn't work. What we have to do is we have to replace what is in there with something better. And if we're going to retrain our minds to be set on things of the Spirit, it's going to be because we stop yelling at ourselves to stop thinking about bad things, and instead we replace them with something good. But it's not just good thoughts. It's not like you're worried about your marriage. Okay, I'm going to think about a basket full of puppies. I mean, that sounds awesome. What God is saying is let's take the things that are not godly and replace them with godly. Let's take the things that are death and replace them with life. Let's take the lies and replace it with truth, the defeat, and let's place it, replace it with victory. That is what God offers us, not just good, the best. And he tells us how to do that in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. What you've learned and seen and received and heard in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That verse starts off in a real pink elephant way. Paul goes, hey, don't be anxious. And you're like, dude. The best way to keep somebody that's anxious in a place of anxiety is go stop. But then he goes and outlines for us what it looks like to replace those thoughts of anxiety with thoughts of life. He says, think about whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's commendable. Think about anything that is excellent and praiseworthy. Think about those things. Forget the other stuff. Think about this. And for you and I, as we wrestle with setting our mind on things of the flesh and we ask the question like, what does it mean for me to set my mind on something of the spirit? Ask yourself this. Does this thought that I'm having align with God's truth? Is it true, honorable, just, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? Those are the things that will bring us life and peace. You won't ever think about something that is honorable and worthy of praise and end up feeling defeated. You know why? Because our God's not a God of defeat. And if that is his thought, then it is a victorious thought. And if you're in that place that you're recognizing, no, this thought does not align with peace. Does not align with God's truth. Step one in retraining our minds is confession. No one likes confession. But we begin by confessing the thoughts that we have that are of the flesh. That lust that you haven't been able to kick since you were young. That lie that you believed because your teacher told it to you when you were in second grade and you just can't shake it. That abandonment that you feel because your dad walked out when you were younger. 
The anxiety, the worry, the depression, the disillusionment, the loneliness, all of those things that we are feeling, if they don't align with God's truth, then we confess them. We speak them out. Because James ties confession to healing. He says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession is an important aspect for us in getting over, like retraining our mind because it is us acknowledging that we have an issue. They say the first step for an addict to find victory over their addiction is to admit they have a problem. The first step for many of us to retrain our mind is to actually acknowledge that we have an issue that we need to be fixed, that our thought life is causing harm. And we gotta admit that. And then after we have confessed the negative, because we're not going to focus on the negative, we're not going to say stop thinking negative thoughts. After we've confessed it, the next step in setting our mind on things of the Spirit is declaration. Declaring the truth of what God is. It's taking, forget this over here, I want to declare what God says. Maybe you're one of those people that really struggles with confidence. You feel like you don't matter. Nobody cares. You're just you sitting in the background doing your own thing. You confess that lie and then you could declare something like, my confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. Maybe you're one of those that lustful thoughts is still a part of your mind. You saw something you shouldn't when you were younger. You can't shake it. It shapes so much of the way that you've lived your life and you don't want to have that be the case anymore. You can make this declaration. I am a slave. I am not a slave to my lustful thoughts. I will honor him with my eyes and body. Maybe finances is your thing and you worry like how you're going to take care of everything you need to take care of. Matthew says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Your declaration could be as simple as, God says he cares about those grackles at the mall (laughs) who are borderline from hell. And that if he cares about them, how much more does he care about me, his child? We confess the thing that was not of God and then we just declare his truth. Our declarations are just gonna be scripture that we declare over ourselves. And maybe you're like, I I get the confession piece. I don't know how I get to the declaration piece. I don't know, a scripture on fear to save my life. Guess what? The internet is a cesspool. It's awful. Sometimes Google is your friend. You can go to Google and you can type in scriptures about fear and I almost guarantee you this one will pop up. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that is a declaration. We can say, God, I will not fear because I'm not alone. You are guiding me and comforting me even even though this valley seems deep. I know that you're there. For me, a relatively consistent, ungodly thought that I always am confessing is a pretty decent amount of insecurity. So if you ever see me before I come up on stage, you'll see me like mouthing words to myself. And I say the same thing every time. I am his child doing what he called me to do. You know what? If I'm just raw honest with you, it feels so dumb that I have to say that. I'm embarrassed that I have to like say this. I know it's true. And yet I have to confess this lie that I've believed and then declare I am his child doing what he called me to do. And I declare it out loud. You know why? Because Proverbs says that there's power in our words. 
It says, our words have the power of life and death. There's power in actually verbalizing what is going on, this declaration that we're making. And when you're making a declaration, remember, we're not just declaring a positive thought. It's not just yay puppies. It is my God is greater. And you know what? When we make a declaration and it's just not a good thing, it's a God thing, we should declare it with power and authority. When I think of declaration, you know what I don't think of? Just a meek little whisper. I think about that scene, if you ever watched The Office, which I'm not endorsing The Office, it's incredibly dumb. If you ever watched The Office, there's a scene where Michael Scott, the main character, is going to declare bankruptcy. And he goes, I declare bankruptcy! And that's dumb, because obviously that's not how you declare bankruptcy. But what they're honing in on is that word declaration. Declarations are powerful. They're authoritative. They are things that you declare because you mean them deep within who you are. And as believers, when we've gone through the process of confessing the lie, confessing the lie and we're declaring God's truth, we declare it with authority because our God is a God of authority. And our God is a God of victory. And our declarations should sound like that because they're him. They're not just good things. They're God things. And for me, I'm, I'm, ready for, I'm ready for that to be more of a consistent thing in my life. It's, a, it's going to be a thing that you never stop doing as a believer. Until Jesus returns, we will go through the process of confessing the lies that we've believed and declaring God's truth forever. Might, you might kick one, but there will be another because our enemy is crafty. But I want the life God has for my thoughts. I want the peace and the joy I want the whatever is honorable, whatever's excellent and praiseworthy. That's what I want to ruminate in my brain, not the other mess. And for you and I, if we're ever going to get to that place, it's going to be because we decide to be bold enough to confess and then even bolder to declare God's truth. So right now, you can put all your stuff away and then bow your heads. I'm going to give us a moment to do that. Maybe these last 15 minutes or so for you were like nothing because you're like, I haven't done the first part. That part where you said our minds are set on the flesh, that's just where I am. I have no other option. I, I, don't, I don't know Jesus. I would like to, though. If that's you and today you want to go, I want Jesus. I want life and peace. And like John says, not just life, but abundant life. There's no magic prayer to pray. It's just an admission of, God, I, I need you. And I can't do this on my own. I'm tired of trying. If that's you, will you raise your hand? That's awesome. Online right there, you can actually request prayer. I encourage you to do that. So for those of you in that first group, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Maybe you're in the second group. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, I'm tired of feeling defeated. Right now, I want you to confess it. Confess the lies that you've believed. Confess the things that were not of God. Say them out loud. You don't have to say them out loud for even your spouse to hear, but say them out. Make your lips move. There is power in confession. It is tied to our healing.
And then in your own spirit, I want you to commit to yourself to be bold enough this week to find a declaration, to speak truth to the lie, to speak life into the death, to speak victory into defeat. Like I said, if you don't know where to go, Google scriptures about worrying about money, scriptures about feeling overwhelmed, Scripture's when I'm lonely. And God, we thank you for all that you're doing. God, for that first group of people that raised their hands and even ones that maybe didn't because they were nervous about what people would think around them, I ask that their heart would be turned towards you. Your heart is turned towards them. Would they declare that they want you, they need you to be Savior? For those in the second group, would they be bold enough to confess the areas of their hearts and minds that aren't going where they're supposed to go? And then, God, would they be bold enough to declare your truth? We thank you that you are a God of life and peace and victory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.